Welcome to America's Defense Communities, the podcast. I'm your host, Chris Duyos. Today, on our first episode, we will be discussing an issue vital to our country's security, recruitment and retention. Recruitment rates have stagnated over the past few years, prompting many headlines and concerns that the armed services must change their strategies to find new talent. One way to do this is by getting defense communities involved. In today's episode, you will hear from Secretary of the Army Christine Wormuth and our new ADC President Karen Holt on the current challenges and opportunities with recruitment. In addition, on-base editor Randy Ford will provide updates and accomplishments from defense communities around the country. This is America's Defense Communities. This conversation took place on March 7 at the 2023 Defense Communities National Summit hosted by ADC. It was Secretary Wormuth's first visit to the summit. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome the 25th Secretary of the U.S. Army, the Honorable Christine Wormuth. Good morning, Secretary. Good morning. As we begin day two of our national summit and one of our focuses for today's panel is recruitment. Can you tell us about what the Army is doing to expand its recruitment efforts and how defense communities can see the Army as an employer of choice? And then also touch on what the Army brings to our young people. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, we are doing a lot to work on recruiting. We're facing, you know, I would say the, the biggest recruiting challenge the Army has faced in decades. We're not alone. Uh, all of the military services, I think, are going to be challenged in terms of recruiting. So let me walk you through a little bit the things we're doing. I think in terms of, you know, what the Army offers for communities and why communities should see the Army as an employer of choice, it relates to the be-all-you-can-be idea, which is the Army is about possibilities. You know, we have 178 military occupational specialties in the Army. One of the, you know, we are, we are the largest service and we offer, you know, the most different kinds of career opportunities. In addition to great benefits, the GI Bill, tuition assistance, 30 days of paid vacation, 12 weeks now of parental uh, family leave, and I could go on and on. So, um, and, and we're not just, you know, infantry pilots, um, tank crews. We've also got data scientists and coders and engineers and doctors and lawyers and nurses and even chefs. You know, you really can be all you can be in the Army. <laughs> so the, the brand relaunch is an important part of what we're doing to try to help ourselves with recruiting, but we're doing a number of other things. We are offering um, the first duty station of choice to folks who enlist. So if you want to stay closer to home, you know, you can decide to go to Fort Carson. If you want to go see the world, you can go over to Vincenza, Italy. Um, we also have a quick ship bonus that is proving to be pretty popular. So new soldiers who are willing to ship out to basic quickly get a little bit of a financial incentive. One of the things that we're doing that is working really well is called the Future Soldier Prep Course. And one of the things that General McConville and I have vowed is that even as we face this difficult recruiting environment, we are not going to lower our standards. You know, we are emphasizing maintaining our quality. And with the Future Soldier Prep Course, we're basically taking young Americans who haven't quite scored high enough on the ASVAB or haven't quite gotten within the body fat percentages that are our standards, and we're kind of putting them through a mini boot camp, either academic or on physical fitness, to help 
help them, to invest in them, and get them to rise up to our standards. And what we found is about 97% of the kids who have gone into that future soldier prep course are graduating and going on to basic training. So that, I think, is working really well. The, the other thing I would list, and again, there's like 10 things we're doing, but the, the other, there are two other things that I think are proving to be pretty helpful. One is our soldier referral program. So basically now, like I actually just sent a thank you email to a, uh, a private who is at Fort Benning right now, who went to the Georgia State Wrestling Championships and uh, got 27 kids at that wrestling championship event to come and talk to our recruiters. So basically, and that private will now be able to be promoted you know, up a rank. And if you're E4 and above, you earn points towards your promotion. So I think that referral program is gonna be pretty effective. And then another thing we've done is we've taken soldiers who come from countries like Mexico, Nigeria, Jamaica, and they've recorded videos telling their own army story in their native languages, and that has really helped us reach out to people from those countries who have lawful permanent residency here in the United States and are hence eligible to join the U.S. military. And that has actually generated almost 2,000 uh, contracts and people shipping to basic training. So we are trying to pull out all the stops. <laughs> now this is exciting initiatives, and we look forward to the, the relaunch. Um, how can, as defense communities, um, can we help the Army and other military services with these recruitment challenges? There are a lot of ways, I think, that communities can help. And because really what we need to do fundamentally is reintroduce the United States Army to America. You know, only 1% of Americans now serve in any of the military branches. And about 83% of folks in the Army now come from military families. So it's, you know, what we need to do is get beyond that group of people who already know about the United States Army and reach out to families that haven't seen the Army before. And so what you can do in your communities to help us is help us get that access. You know, talk to your school boards, talk to your principals, talk to your guidance counselors, help our recruiters get back into high schools. You know, for two years during the pandemic in a lot of places, we weren't in high schools, kids weren't in their high schools. And so some of those relationships, that connective tissue has kind of broken down. And frankly, in some places, you know, guidance counselors have skepticism about the military and about the army. And they don't always see it as, you know, a viable option compared to college, for example. So we've had to do some missionary work, frankly, to rebuild some of those relationships. And I think, you know, you can also just help, you know, invite the Army to events in the community and just, again, sort of help us gain exposure. We have a program called Civilian Aids to the Secretary of the Army, CASAs for short. There's probably any CASAs in the room today. Um, and they are fantastic ambassadors for the Army you know, in our communities, and they, they are a great sort of volunteer set to plug into to, to help connect the Army to communities. Mm -hmm. Very good. We have our charge as defense communities. <laughs> Secretary, I know your number one priority is people. And quality of life is important to ensuring we recruit and retain the best in our nation. Can you talk a little about Army efforts to improve quality of life? 
Yes, you know, ma making sure that we are offering soldiers and families good quality of life is critical. And uh, in the almost two years that I've become Secretary of the Army, I've really come to have a deeper appreciation of how important it is to take care of soldiers and families. And we do that in a lot of ways. One of the most important quality of life issues, obviously, is housing. So, housing and barracks, you know. And so we are investing a billion dollars a year in barracks across all three components, so active, uh, guard, and reserve. We have been investing about $3 billion in privatized housing starting in 2020 and going through 2026. You know, we've done a tremendous amount to work with our privatized housing partners to give them more oversight, frankly, and to make sure that they are living up to their contracts and that they are doing what they need to do in terms of maintaining the privatized housing. So that is a place where we're putting in a lot of investment. And I think we probably need to do more. So as we're looking ahead to building the next budget, the next five-year plan for the Army, we're looking at, you know, our overall inventory of housing and whether we can put more investment into that. Another really important issue with quality of life is, of course, child care. That, you know, anytime I do a town hall with soldiers and families, I hear about child care. So we have built five new child development centers. We, are, we have raised the minimum wage for staff in our CDCs because, frankly, you know, A, we need to have, there's, there's two ways you get more capacity for CDCs and you get kids off the wait list. One is obviously to build more CDCs, and we are doing that. But the other thing to do is to make sure that the CDCs are fully staffed. And frankly, that has been a challenge for us, you know, it's a very tight labor market, as you all know, and so basically making sure that we can hire up to 100% of our CDC workers has been important. So we're raising our minimum wage for them. We are offering incentives, like if, you're a, if you come work in one of our daycare centers and you have a child, your child can go at 50% off in, you know, in terms of what they pay to be part of the CDC. And in some areas, we've actually even raised that up to 100%, basically. You can have your child go free. We've also opened up our commissaries to our CDC workers in some cases, for example. So we're really trying to make sure that when it comes to barracks, housing, CDC, that we're trying to make sure we invest on that and give our soldiers and families what they need. Certainly. Is there anything specific that you feel defense communities can help support the Army achieve? You know, I think I would just come back to where I started, which is the incredible importance of reintroducing the Army to the American public. You know, after 9-11, for, for understandable reasons, we increased security around our installations substantially and around the Pentagon. I mean, I started working in the Pentagon in 1995. I remember when the highway went a different way. You know, I remember when you could walk right up to the childcare. I remember you could drive your car, you know, right under the bridge. We went inside of ourselves for security purposes for understandable reasons. But I think the cascading effect of that was that a lot of Americans don't see us anymore. And that is particularly true in places where we don't have a major installation. I was just in Chicago for a few days a couple weeks ago, and you know, particularly in the Northeast and the kind of upper Midwest, I would say, with the exception of like Kansas, we don't have large army installations. And so in Chicago, as my, me and my team walked around, and you know, they were of course wearing their uniforms, people were turning their heads. And I'm, I'm pleased to say, you know, people 
were saying to the folks in uniform around me, thank you for your service. You know, that, that has obviously changed dramatically, I would say, in the, you know, compared to the post-Vietnam era. But nevertheless, it was clear to me that people in Chicago do not see people in uniform very often. And so I think, you know, you all in our communities, just the more you can do to um, help us integrate and be more visible in your communities, the better. The more that you can share your own experiences working alongside us, the more you can sort of help us tell our Army story, the better. And that's not, frankly, just about recruiting, although obviously that's the thing that's uppermost in my mind. But it's really more about bridging, I think, a broader civilian-military divide that we have in our country. And, you know, we really need to... Um bring that together. I mean, I, you know, the all-volunteer force, and we're going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the all-volunteer force soon, is, you know, has been incredibly effective and I think has been, you know, a tremendous blessing for the military and for the security of our country. But sort of, again, the unintended consequence of the all-volunteer force is that a smaller and smaller percentage of the United States public serves in uniform and knows about the United States military. And I think we knew, we we really need to work together to sort of bridge that civilian-military divide. Well, Secretary, I certainly appreciate your insights that you shared with us today. Thank you for your leadership and being with us here at the National Summit. It's my pleasure. Have a great rest of your conference. That was Army Secretary Christine Warmuth on stage at the Defense Communities National Summit, being interviewed by Karen Holt, who is newly elected president of ADC. Holt is currently the director at the Harford County Office of Economic Development in Harford County, Maryland. She spent the past 17 years advocating for her local installation, Aberdeen Proving Ground, at both the local and national level. Previously a director and vice president of ADC, Holt has represented defense communities across the country on issues ranging from military recruitment to investments in innovation and education. I caught up with her outside the summit to talk about what she sees ahead for the association and defense communities. Here's our discussion. So congratulations on being the new president. How does it feel? Thank you. It's exciting. It's a great group um, to represent from our defense communities from across the country. We've got a really dedicated board right now and some, a lot of excitement with our membership across the U.S. And this is about recruitment and retention. You were featured recently in a Military Times op-ed talking about how defense communities can play a role in this and how they should be an asset for recruiters. What role do communities play and what role should they play in affecting these sorts of conversations regarding recruitment and retention? Sure. As I embark on my presidency for ADC, you know, one of our priorities is recruitment and retention. And I hope that that will be a theme that you will hear throughout the year. But we talk about it taking an entire community to help recruit for the Army. It really isn't a recruiting officer or a recruiting office's job solely. So we want to make sure that where we have those resources, where we have populations of military families that already live in our defense communities, that can tell the story and help spread that communication. I just, I think everybody has a role to play in helping to tell that story. You know, these are changing times, there's different dynamics, and I think it's just going to take 
take some innovative approaches to have those conversations with young people and help them engage in a different way to talk about, you know, the opportunity to make a difference and to have an impact. You know, I think our branches of the armed service are well prepared to do that, but we've got to be part of the storytelling process. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal history with ADC? How did you get first involved with the organization? Sure. I have a lot of personal and professional history with ADC. Um, this is my 17th year attending an ADC conference. And I think about 2006, my first experience, there was a lot of discussion about gaining communities and redeveloping communities. Um, but the real takeaway from that was this, the validation that you're not alone, that you can really come together with a, a, a community of people that are in the same boat, that share their best practices and really help uh, validate the point that you can take those resources back into your community to be successful in that application and still have that reach back to know that you've got those subject matter experts to continue to support you along the way. That's great. My next question, what are some of your goals to accomplish as ADC president? So some of the goals I'd like to accomplish during my presidency with ADC is really looking at this sense of one community and building a real plan going forward with that. Certainly planning some exciting activities leading up to our 50th anniversary and a culminating event that we can all celebrate 50 years to date and hopefully 50 more to come. I think really looking at engaging defense communities that perhaps aren't currently adjacent to an installation or a post or a base but how they too could become more involved. They still represent a workforce and, and those that live engage in that capacity and I think we can broaden that range to increase even greater support for our military families. That's great, that's a great response. So sort of building off the, the 50th anniversary, what are some of the specifics that we can look forward to for that in 2026? So we're excited here at the National Summit to, to launch a charge to stand up an advisory committee that can start planning various activities and lead that strategic plan um, for the, the 2026 culminating event, but a lot of things we can do between now and then to build that momentum and really reflect on the successes of the organization. That's great. What, what does ADC mean to you and everyone who's in your region? So I think ADC has really been part of my growth process to really help support a defense community in a lot of different ways. I think it helped shape my capabilities to develop a, a consortium that was multi-state, multi-jurisdictional, a lot of different entities. And I think it reinforced talking with the subject matter experts at these events to hear about other communities that have tried things and have either been very successful or maybe didn't work. I think both of those are important. But to be able to take that back and have the confidence to apply some different things, uh, try different approaches, and if it doesn't work, you know, at least it's a learning perspective, and then being able to come back and present at ADC on some of those best practices. So I've gained a lot and I've been able to give back as well. That's great. I'm Randy Ford, editor of ADC's On Base newsletter. Here's some of the things that have been happening in our communities. Fort Barfoot, Virginia is the first of several army bases to get its new name. It was formerly Fort Pickett. These changes are following the naming commission's recommendations to rename bases that were named after Confederate leaders. The next changes are Fort Rucker, Alabama will become Fort Novacell. Fort Lee, Virginia will become Fort Greg Adams. Fort Hood, Texas will become Fort Cavazos. Fort Benning, Georgia will become Fort Moore. 
Fort Bragg in North Carolina will become Fort Liberty. Fort Gordon, Georgia will become Fort Eisenhower. Fort A.P. Hill, Virginia will become Fort Walker. And Fort Polk, Louisiana will become Fort Johnson. President Biden designated Kastner Range, the former firing range at Fort Bliss, Texas, uh, to become a national monument. It will probably take years for the Army to clean up unexploded ordnance at the site, but when it's established, it will be the only national monument managed by DOD. The Nebraska National Guard's Camp Ashland training site is officially open again after the facility flooded in March 2019. Senator Pete Ricketts said the new building represents resilience and Nebraskans' grit to build back better. Those are just some of the stories we've been tracking across the country. If there's news in your community, email it to us, news at defensecommunities.org. And if you want to get our daily on-base newsletter, sign up at defensecommunities.org. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to America's Defense Communities, the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you interested in sponsoring the podcast? Please go to defensecommunities.org for more information.